Do you ever find yourself confused when it comes to health and fitness? Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. I'm here with Brett Jones. Brett, how are you today, bud? Fabulous. If I was any better, I'd have to take something for it. Love it. I love it. And with that being said, we're going to get on today's topic. I like how my voice cracked a little bit. That was, uh, I sounded like the uh, the old Brady Bunch episode. You remember that one? It's Second time puberty. to change. We're not even going to delete that because that was magical. Anyways, uh, we are going to talk about programming today. Nope. We don't delete or edit anything, by the way. I was about to say, we're going to start deleting now? What? No, I never. Don't, I don't and, get and it. Because hey, we're they're they're getting the real us. We don't uh we don't Photoshop or edit anything because that takes effort and I don't have time. So anywho, nobody puts um, baby in a corner. Right. Do not do that. Unacceptable. So we're going to talk about programming today, but uh, we're going to break it into somewhat of three buckets. Um, bucket one is going to be linear periodization. Bucket two is going to be uh, undulating periodization or wave loading. And bucket three is going to be auto-regulation, which is going to be a little bit more intuitive training. We're going to talk about RIR, uh, PRE, uh, et cetera. In addition to that, we're going to cover... Um, some suggestions on when you should be using one and maybe be using something else. So um, let's dive right in and let's talk about uh, sort of linear periodization. And Brett, how would you define linear periodization? Uh, the same way the Supreme Court defined pornography. Uh, I don't know how to define it, but I can tell you when I see it. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. And I had no idea. Oh, yeah. It's I didn't know where it's, it was going. It's an, it's an, it's an actual quote from a Supreme Court uh, justice or majority op opinion that uh, in reference to some case about pornography, it's like, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Um, Fair enough. I, I busted that out this weekend when I was teaching um, in, <laughs> in Ohio it. and yeah, about yeah, five people first, gave your response. What? Yeah. Like I, and, and cause like, that's normally that, I'm like, somebody actually a, said that that's normally it's a movie quote. Um, so anyways, so, so maybe you can maybe, maybe you could expand on that a little bit. <laughs> well, uh, linear periodization is typically um, there's set jumps and percentages of either one RM or or volume. Um, well, usually those things are coupled so that as you're making your increases in in your one uh, RM or percent one RM work, you're decreasing the volume. Uh, it's classic American powerlifting style. It's um, it, it's one of the oldest, um, most traditional forms of of strength training programming uh, that's out there. Most routines that you're familiar with seeing would fall into a a linear periodization uh, short sort of strategy. So, absolutely, and uh, you know, I would say that for most for most people and for most exercises linear periodization will follow sort of a high to low rep scheme. And what I mean by that is you start with higher volume, but with lower weight, 
And then as you increase uh, the weight, something else has to change. So the volume is going to decrease. So it's kind of this crisscross X pattern, right? So, um, and, and how that works um, specifically with the barbell is usually with understanding percentage-based jumps. And in a perfect world, if you are using linear periodization, um, you would have someone's 1RM. Now, if you don't have their 1RM, I'm not saying you have to go test for their 1RM. But if you have a 1RM or a 3RM or a 5RM, it's going to make things a little easier because you have a number to work with and start using some math. And then that way you can actually determine what is going to be the best approach from a starting lift and a starting point rather, as far as the beginning of a program and where you want to be at the end of the program. Because the whole point of a linear periodization based program is to lift heavier, right? I mean, that's really what it boils down to when you're looking at periodization. So, um, but um there has to be some basic guidelines built in because you just can't keep on lifting more every single week forever. That won't work. It's, it's kind of like the, uh, the idea of a uh, Milo of Croton, right? You just can't grab that baby calf, walk up the hill every single day and just keep on making progress. It doesn't really work like that. It'll work like that for a little bit. Um, but at a certain point you kind of have to reboot and recycle and start fresh. So, um, I think the big thing is, is understanding again, the starting point, what is someone's one RM? Right. So if someone has a, a one RM, let's say on their deadlift of 200 pounds, and we want to increase that by 5%, we want to make their new one RM 210 pounds because it's a five pound jump. So the goal is to take their program from 200, uh, take their deadlift from 200 pounds to 210 pounds. Okay. So 200 is your starting number, which is your current one RM. And that's going to give you, that's 100% of what they're able to lift. So at the beginning of the program, if we know their one RM is 100, at the end of the program, we want to get them to 105%, which is a, essentially a 10-pound PR. And then you have to start running the math to see if that's going to make uh, a bunch of sense. And the simplest way to do that is by kind of starting backwards. And if you know what their 1RM is, you can say, well, hey, I want to get a 10-pound PR, or in this case, a 5% PR, and you start working backwards. And that's one of the simplest ways to do that. And as far as sets and reps go, um, there are a bunch of different types of set and rep schemes that you can use. And generally it's based off of how many weeks you want to do. I would argue that the majority of the programs I've seen and, and Brett definitely chime in on this when it comes to like linear periodization for squatting or deadlifting is usually between eight to 12 weeks. And, uh, after that, you usually do a reboot, a reboot, and then you start fresh or depending if you're lifting or you're powerlifting, um, usually you're going to build up to getting meat ready, et cetera. So, uh, that's some, some sort of insight on, on linear periodization. Um, before we, uh, dig a little bit deeper on this, Brett, what would you like to add, sir? So one of the things, um, one of the reasons linear periodization has, uh, such a long history, and I, I was actually pulling up, um, Antonio Squilante's applied periodization book to see if I could find an actual definition uh, for linear periodization, um, to uh, uh, you know, pick somebody, pick on, pick a big brain to uh, to to riff off of, um, but so within so when we start contrasting this with uh, undulating or um, um, non-linear periodization, and we start seeing uh, quicker shifts between. Uh, qualities. Um, you know, maybe somebody's doing two weeks of strength, two weeks of power, two weeks of you know, two to three weeks of hypertrophy, and you're kind of moving through or working on these qualities uh, at the same time as you're going through this through the cycle. 
Um, one of the problems there is, yes, within the first two to three weeks of working on a particular uh, aspect of training, whether it's strength, power, hypertrophy, whatever it is, um, we tend to get a really good response within the first two to three weeks. So if you switch quickly, you get that big bump, you, you see that change within the first two to three weeks, and then you switch to something else, you haven't had time to stabilize those gains. And so one of the reasons we see a strength peak and then a drop off because we switched to power versus strength or hypertrophy or whatever the case may be, however you're doing your nonlinear, whatever, um, and we don't see those strength gains stabilize, it's because we didn't stay there for long enough. So one of the things, one of the reasons linear periodization has uh, such a history uh, and you see six to eight week uh, sort of mesocycles uh, within the micro, macro cycle is, um, see, you thought I didn't know anything about this based no. on my Supreme Court justice. Uh, well, I just, you, yeah. you threw me for a little bit of a loop and, and um, now you actually, <laughs> you sound like you know what you're talking about. So I appreciate that. I know. I, was, I, uh, I try I to was... avoid that. I, I try to avoid it, but every now and then I got to act serious and, you know, talk like I, I do know what I'm doing. Um, so returning to our story, um, the reason you see six week mesocycles uh, and, and you see um, a sustained amount of time working on a particular quality is stabilization uh, because we want to get Yes, we want those first two to three weeks of of quick uptake uh, and benefit, but then we want to stabilize those that quality. Then switching to the next quality, we can we can make that switch, get another bump in a different quality that we're trying to train without experiencing the drop off. So linear periodization really succeeds in that uh, in that area because we get our stabilization time. Um, it. So when we talk about the other styles, we'll, we'll get into just a little bit more of how we might be able to overcome uh, that stabilization uh, sort of uh, uh, aspect. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's a difference between using linear periodization to lay a really, really solid foundation or using linear periodization for a quick peak purpose. And that's exactly what Brett's talking about. It's like, if you want to do a very, very quick peak, you can do that in four to six weeks, but you're not going to retain those adaptations. You're kind of renting them and you're actually relying on the nervous system to do what the nervous system does. Right. But at the same time, um, you may not hold on to it. It's very similar to like uh, another part of that too, is the, the percentage based jumps. So if you are doing a quick peak cycle, right. And you're going to be doing anything from like three to six weeks, four to six weeks, you can get away with bigger jumps. Cause that's the whole point of peaking, right? You want to, you want to lift heavier and you want to get there faster. So you're going to have, um, you're going to have some, a little bit more aggressive jumps, but again, like Brett said, it's not going to be the most stable. Whereas, um, in a sort of a longer 12 week program, you have a little bit more stability because you built that foundation, but, um, but they're all, uh, you know, it's, it's a huge part of it. But I think, like I said, the big thing about linear periodization is you got to figure out what your current Ideally, if you got to know what your current one, three or five RM is, and then you, you kind of bump that up, you know, whether it's, you want to make a 5% or 7% sort of jump in strength, depending on where you're at and you're lifting, because, you know, you can't make 5% jumps in your deadlift every single time you do a program. Some people can do it for a little bit, but when it starts to get heavy, heavy, it doesn't work that way. But, um, 
you know, I, I think a big part is to just understand that um, they both have their merit. But at the same time, if you are doing a linear periodization scheme, knowing your starting point is important too. Because if you start off and it's too simple and it doesn't challenge you and you start off a 10-week cycle, but you're starting off at 40% of you know what you're capable of, you may not move the needle for the next three weeks because you're not stressing your system to get the appropriate adaptation. So if you start too low, if you start at 40% and let's say you're doing 3% jumps, you're going, you know, week one, 40%, then 43, then 46. And you may not even get some sort of adaptations for three weeks. And it, that's because you started off too, uh, you started off in a, at a number that was just too, too low and vice versa. If you start off too aggressive, um, you are going to hit a plateau prematurely, and then you're going to get stuck, and you won't be able to finish the uh, the linear periodization based program because you're going to be too aggressive, and you know 70 percent of your way through the program, you're you're hitting a wall. So this is why you have to learn how to write quality programs. And and I wish I could tell you that you could just run a bunch of math and it would spit out programs that would work, but it's just not going to because everybody responds differently to volume too because we're dealing with humans. So some people can get away with uh, a little bit more of a quick peak jump and more aggressive jump. Some people cannot. So honestly, write the programs, try to get some baseline information and see how it goes and make some notes on how you responded or how your clients responded, because that's how you're going to dial it in. So some people do really, really well with that. Um, and, and, and others do not. And uh, I will say this linear periodization is really good for people that are a little bit more goal-driven and they have a specific thing that they want to meet um, because those people, and I don't want to say they're all type A because that's that's not fair to say, but a lot of type A people, if they're type A in their jobs and in their work, they're probably type A with their exercise and they have specific goals. And those are the people that want to know how many sets, uh, how many reps, what's my rest, you know, what's the load. They want to know everything. And for those individuals, Linear periodization may be good, might be a good thing because they just want to show up and be like, this is exactly what I need to do and they'll do it. Now, um, some people it won't work and there are other options to get strong besides linear periodization. And uh, before we move on to undulating periodization or um, waving the load, if you will, Brett, anything else you want to add about linear? We just touched on the personality aspect of training, right? There's 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 people that are going to uh, go in the direction of a particular training method because it suits their personality. Uh, I can remember years ago and many years ago uh, getting the zone diet book, right? And so I, I pick this thing up and I read the first chapter and I'm like, okay, all right. Read the second chapter. All right. And so I can't remember, somewhere around the third or fourth chapter, they start talking about what you need to do to calculate your points so that you know you're in your zone. And at that point, I knew I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> so, so I closed the book and I put it up on my shelf and I, you know, I'm like, okay, um, some of the, some of the concepts are interesting, but I'm never going to do that. So just put it in the shelf. Well, I, a couple months later, I had a new, uh, a new person and, and uh, they were an accountant. And I pulled that, they were, we were talking a little bit about diet and stuff. I pulled that book off of the shelf and I said, you're going to love this because <laughs> you get to do calculations and you get to kind of think through and plan and, you know, do, do your, do your math. And, and it really, it, it fit that person's personality. Um, training the same way, you know, there's, there's, um, there's people and, and there's two famous Russians 
Olympic lifters from the the heyday of the the Olympic uh, era, whose names I'm not going to be able to remember because I'm not Pavel. Um, <laughs> but one of them was the uber structured, you know, Fabio Zonin sort of trainee uh, who hasn't missed a training session since 1996 and has planned every training session and rep and everything he's done since then, um, which I can't even fathom. Uh, and then the, the other person was very intuitive in their training. <clears throat> they just kind of came in and uh, essentially did what they felt like doing. And uh, both of them were gold medalists, both of them very successful, but both of them very different people with very different uh, personalities. And so that has to be part of the conversation at at some point. And so, you know, knowing that you're somebody that um, wants the details, you want to know where you're going to be going, um, you know, your training can fit that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, I, and and please understand that it a lot of this stuff is not what's better. It's what's better for the individual and how do they respond the best? You know, because again, I'm the same way. Brett and I are very similar. We do a little bit more of intuitive training. Um, I'm not writing down you know, sets and rep schemes and writing that stuff out. Um, you know, if I can sneak out a 45 minute workout in between clients and all the other things that I do, that's a win. But I remember, uh, you know, uh, early on when I started working with fighters, uh, I remember I was following Steve Bakari. And if you don't know who Steve Bakari is, he's a, a guy that was involved, uh, early on with, with Pavel, very, very bright guy. Um, you know, he's based out of the Boston area. Just, he's one of those guys. He's like, uh, I feel like he's an encyclopedia. I feel like that guy just knows everything about everything. But he's got like, I remember him saying, you know, he's got like, you know, just like just shelves of notebooks of all of his workouts for the for the last 20 years. And I'm like, I'm like, uh, I'm like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber with like the the IOU on the napkin to be like 275 thou. We should probably hold on to this one. Like that's the <laughs> that's the extent of my programming. So, I mean, again, at the end of the day, though, if you are successful and you're meeting your goals, it does not matter how you get there. So if you're one of those people that don't record all your stuff and you don't have a bunch of notebooks and a bunch of Excel spreadsheets, no one cares. No one cares. And honestly, at the end of the day, if you're happy or your clients are happy, that's a good thing. So um, let's yeah, talk about, I mean, oh, it, sorry. Success Success does leave clues. So it, it would be nice if you were able to look back at the end of a successful training, you know, time of training and go, oh, that's what I did. Um, which was kind of what happened with me when I was writing the book. And one of my, one of my students said, Hey, I've, I've got all of your, your last like year and a half of training on, on my, on a spreadsheet. Do you want it? I'm like, what? So taking all my Instagram posts and putting it on a, on a spreadsheet and, you know, I, or word, I can't remember what it was. And I'm like, heck yeah. I, <laughs> I want, yeah. I want that. I mean, I had it in my notebook, but you know, having it in a digital format that I could easily use was, was brilliant. Um, brilliant. So, you know, nowadays with apps and, and digital, you know, medium, uh, but I'm still, a, I got my training notebook sitting right over here beside me. And um, I joke about it all the time, but sit down, got time to train, write down what I feel like doing that day and roll with it. Exactly. So. Exactly. Um, okay. Moving undulating, on. Undulating periodization. Um, let's talk about that. So undulating periodization is exactly what it sounds like. There's going to be some ups and some downs. That's the undulating or the wave loading part. Generally speaking, we have kind of three different days. 
And you can call them a heavy day, a medium day, or a light day. You can call them a high stim day, a medium stim, stim day, or a low stim day. I really don't care. Um, but uh, there needs to be a significant difference in those training sessions because if they look too similar, then you're doing the same thing over and over again. So, you know, generally speaking, if you are going to be using undulating periodization, let's just make it easy. Um, day one is, is, is a high stim day, meaning you're going to lift heavy. And when you do lift heavy, you're probably going to be lifting, you know, 90% or higher, but probably for maybe two by two, three by two, a couple heavy, couple heavy doubles, right, Brett? Ballparkish. Yep. yep. So that's your, but, but again, you're lifting heavy on that day. You're doing a low, low volume. Um, but that's what's supposed to happen because you can't do that every single time. So let's say you, we'll talk about deadlifts. Let's just say you do a two by two on your high stem day, right? Or your heavy day. And that's going to be at 90, whatever, 90 ish percent. And, and, and I understand that we're not always dealing with about percentages, but it should be heavy and it should be probably about 90% or higher based off of the research of like prolipin and all the other Russian sports science stuff. We know that you're not doing 90% of your one RM for eight. It just won't work. So you've got your high stem day. And because of the high stim day, we know that you're going to have a significant amount of stress on your nervous system. And when you stress your nervous system, you also get a dip after, right? And that's just the training cycle of stress and adaptation. We stress, but after the stress does not come the adaptation. Actually, after the stress comes the recovery period where you actually get a dip. You actually get a dip in performance and a dip in readiness. And then we get the rebound effect back up to your baseline. And then hopefully we get another bump, which is called supercompensation, right? And, and uh, Vern Gambetta has some really, really good information about that. But that is essentially the training cycle. We apply stress, we get a drop, we return to baseline, and then we get compensation. And that's kind of how it works. So if we did a heavy day on a Monday, the next thing we need to do is we need to follow with a light day. Because if you follow it with a medium day, it's probably going to be a little bit too similar. So then we look at our light day and we say, well, shoot, what should that look like based off of, again, sports science and everything else? And generally speaking, I don't have the exact numbers, but you know, if you're doing your lighter day, you're probably going to be in the 70% and you're probably going to be anywhere from like four to six sets of four to six reps at like 70-ish percent. Would you agree with that, Brett? Ballpark it? Yeah. Ballpark. I think, uh, I think we're, we're talking the same, same numbers. Exactly. And, and again, it's, there is a sort of, uh, if you look at Prolipin's chart, if you're not familiar with that Prolipin's chart, it's kind of a set and rep scheme. And that's, that chart has influenced a lot of, uh, a lot of coaches on kind of what your sets and reps should look like, what is optimal and what is a range. But regardless of that, um, you have your, your medium day, like I said, I'm sorry, your low day, which is again, could be, uh, you know, 70% at four sets of five or four sets of six. So here we have day one, which is a Monday. We'll call it a Monday. We got two by two at 90%. That's your high day. After that, we have a sort of lower stim day, which is maybe four by five or four by six, but at 70%. All right. So now you have a 90% day and a 70% day. We take our average that averages us for 80% for so far for the week, but then we need our medium day. And then the medium day will be somewhere in the middle of those. It could be, you know, like a three by three or a four by three. And that's going to be somewhere in the high seventies, low eighties. And then that's kind of how it works. You rinse and repeat. But what you do have to look at is the average relative intensity per week. And that's, that's, that's what, that's when you sign up for plant strong. <laughs> and if you want to look at all of the crazy details of uh, undulating periodization and, and wave loading, 
go listen to Pavel. I, I need to go back and do it again because I'll be brutally honest. The first time I saw that, it might have been the first one, I was pretty much lost because I it was just above my head. And uh, I'm not that smart. <laughs> so, but anyways, if you take the approach of high, low, medium, look at your relative intensity. And as you work towards your goal, the relative intensity should can sneak up too. And it's still, it's still undulating periodization weekly, but the entire program is linear because the whole point is to eventually lift heavier and to improve your strength. So there is the linear component of that, but you improve the strength, not by linear periodization, but by undulating periodization in which will allow you to get stronger in general. So you will make a linear jump or in your, in your strength and in your progress. Did that get really confusing? Ish. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think, <laughs> I think heavy, light, medium is and like, to your point, heavy, light, medium, and making sure that you can actually tell the difference between those days, uh, is, is the key, uh, within plan strong, we would talk about Delta 20 and making sure that there's at least a 20% difference in, in what we're doing. Uh, on a on a session by session basis, week by week, month by month. I mean that that transcends across all of the programming uh, exactly. variables for uh, session, week, month, um, et, et cetera. So um, this is also a super successful um, powerlifting strategy and Olympic lifting strategy, and um, it is where you start talking about that average relative intensity. And what you start seeing is when you when you plane everything out, there's a lot happening between seventy and eighty percent. Most and of it. It's um yeah, um yeah. 70 plus percent of it. <laughs> it's <laughs> happening at 70, 80%. And uh so you know, the the idea that we're going to lift heavy um you know needs to be put into some sort of definition because uh you know, people um that they, they, they just don't think uh they, they think everything's happening at 90%. You know, it's the same way we treat our condition. Right. Most everybody thinks that you're you're just in the gym, you know, killing it at uh, your redlining into zone five for, you know, X amount of time frame or, you know, doing your hardcore intervals every every time you're in there. And, um, you know, if you're doing that, you're not going to be doing it for long. Yeah. Um, so, you know, understanding uh, undulating or wave, uh, those actually mean the same thing uh, for anybody that's been confused by the undulating because you've only heard it referred to as wave. Um, so yeah, super, super successful strategy and um, something that gives you permission to visit some of these other rep ranges and other percentages um, instead of always trying to, uh, you know, add five pounds. Exactly. And, um, and, and kind of, here's the cool thing too, about uh, at least when, when I use a, a form of undulating periodization, especially with some of my fighters, as we, you know, we get into the meat, um, the meat and potatoes, if you will, of their programming, I use a little bit of that because, um, you know, I have to make sure that they're ready for sparring <laughs> and ready for their other skill work. And if I do a high stim day and then they're going to practice that night and we fry their nervous system, um, it, it can't really work. It won't work very well. So I use more of a, like a high low. And it worked quite well because there's no sort of uh, neurological interference, right? We're not we're not we're not robbing Peter to pay Paul type thing. So, um, but again, this is stuff that um, you know Brett and I can can talk about for days with this type of programming. And, and honestly, plan strong and strong endurance. The the two uh, sort of master classes in programming from Pavel, 
if you, there's everything that you ever want to learn about that. And I'm going to tell you that stuff is, it's in depth, it's in depth, but it works, Well, and, but and, it's in depth. And doing the, <laughs> the, the programming improv workshop, uh, getting, to, getting to go to that twice while, while we did it, uh, last year, um, you know, the, the low STEM day sets you up for a high STEM day. Exactly. So there's reasons to do a, a, a low stem, maybe even higher volume session before your higher intensity day, because it, you actually get set up for it. Yeah. Um, you know, people, people think that, um, you know, you, you need that, uh, two, three days of rest before you go into that heavy session. Um, you're probably not going to have a great heavy session because the system's not ready, uh, for, for the, uh, for the load. So there's, there's lots of different programs pardon me, lots of different programming aspects to, to making this kind of work out right. Um, and just to, to note real quickly, if you're experimenting with this and you're trying to figure out what works, um, don't use it as a method to get ready for the next competition. Have, you know, you want to have run these cycles and know which one works picking you for your, for your next competition um, or accept the fact that you're experimenting and the meat might not go in the way that you thought it was going to go. Um, yeah. So trying to rely or bank on a setup day near competition and you've never done it. It's hard to do because it's, it's a competition and we have all of these other hormonal things that are going on when you compete adrenaline, uh, nor adrenaline, uh, <laughs> cortisol, stress, like all of these other things that happen. So you, you have to take in that, that into account too, but, um, but yeah, the setup day and, and, and one thing on the setup day that I want to, I want to sort of add on, and this is not necessarily for performance, but more of stuff you're going to see with clients. You're going to have a client that comes in and they didn't sleep. They felt like crap and they're just hard on themselves because they feel like, man, I can't do what I did last week. And all I say is this is what we call a setup day. What is that? Well, setup day is you come in even when you don't want to, and you just, you, you, you put in the work to, to keep the habit and to keep the routine. Don't worry about killing it. Just worry about coming in and doing it. And I said, if you do that today, you're going to come in tomorrow and I guarantee you're going to feel a lot better. And that's just a setup day. So, you know, when people are negative about having a bad workout, I just say, no, 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 this is just getting us ready for tomorrow or the next day. And, uh, it's a nice way to kind of re, uh, to reassure your clients that, Hey, you, this is okay. Like, this is just how it is. Like you can't expect to perform at your highest level when you haven't slept or you're hungover or you're dehydrated or whatever, whatever the case may be. So um, before we move on to auto reg, anything else to add, Brett? Well, I think, the, you know, the other um, conjugate is going to come up for people, um, yep. you know, West side being very popular and where, where you're training, you know, typically periodization is laid out such that you're working a particular quality like hypertrophy, strength, uh, power, uh, and then an accumulation phase where you're headed towards your peak for whatever competition. Um, super useful if you actually have a date that's far in the future that you need to peak for one particular you know thing. Uh, this is where we talk about you know stabilization of those qualities and making sure that you spend enough time at them to stabilize so that you don't lose them as you transition into the next phase of the, the periodization. Conjugate means you're working on all of those at the same time. You're doing some strength, you're doing some power, you're doing some hypertrophy, you know, all of these things are happening within the same uh, mesocycle or macrocycle. Um, we're not separating them out into the, their individual components. 
Um, West Side Barbell, Louis Simmons, um, brilliant uh, at at putting that together. Uh, there's definitely details to be, you know, uh, to sink your teeth into there. Uh, something, you know, Mark Rifkin um, uh, went deep <laughs> with, with West Side Barbell. Um, I had some great conversations with Louis uh, back uh, years before he had passed. And, and, and um, you know, it, it's definitely something to look into. Um, and it's, it reminds me, uh, you know, we, I was at the 2004 uh, NSCA convention in Minneapolis and, um um uh, some one of the fathers of periodization whether it was met the uh somebody uh was was speaking i can't remember who uh and for two hours they went through all the details linear non-linear uh undulating conjugate and then in the last five minutes of the talk he goes uh two weeks strength two weeks power best both worlds and i'm like well what the heck was the last two hours about <laughs> Like it's you, a you just summarized it. And, yeah, you just summarized it into we'll just keep alternating these two. Um, and for athletes that don't really have an opportunity to quote peak for one particular event, you know, you you get your stabilization over time because you're going to keep switching between those two. And oddly enough, uh, this is a strategy Pavel used in Enter the Kettlebell or Return of the Kettlebell, Return of the Kettlebell. Uh, where he switched between those two week cycles, two weeks of strength, two weeks of power, and um, the the those um, segments are are short enough to where when you come back, you haven't experienced the big drop off uh, from the uh, switching from strength to power and power to strength, and you do get an accumulating effect over time. You just have to stick with the program for for a little while. So. Um, yeah, there's just there's some other things that we could we, we could do, you know, two to 10 other podcasts getting into some of these uh, programming variations. But I, I think where kind of my passion uh, and my personal training style allows is is in this auto regulation or intuitive uh, style of training. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the the beauty of of that is um, you are basically relying, not relying, but you're you're looking at daily readiness. Um, and you're looking at a bunch of factors to kind of see how you feel in that given day. And, um, I would argue that for busy individuals, people that have kind of a crazy life and they don't have a super consistent training time or super consistent training schedule. I think the idea of using auto-regulation, um, is, is a really, really a good thing. Um, uh, before I, before I say that, um, if you want to learn more on, uh, auto-regulation and the intricacies of it, Mike Teixeira, who's a very, very well-known powerlifting coach and a very, very strong individual and, He's one of the smartest guys I've ever sort of followed. I've never met the individual. I've never met Mike, but he not only is he an incredibly strong dude, he's a very, very smart man. And he did a whole talk on YouTube on auto-regulation and this and that. So, I, I mean, look, that guy knows way more about this topic than I do. Um, and I'll actually put a link in the show notes as well for that on the uh, on YouTube. But um, we're talking about auto-regulation. Uh, again, uh, basically what we're doing is you, you, a lot of it's going by feel and, and, and by readiness. And, um, you know, some days you're going to go heavy, some days you're going to go light. So what I mean by that is, um, let's say that you're you're showing up to the gym and you're going to deadlift and you're going to do four sets of five. You know that kind of that's what you want to do today. You may do your first set, warm-up sets and not feel great. So that might be a day in which... You can just take it easy that day because if you're not feeling good, the, the bar's not moving quickly, that might be a perfect day to just still do the workout but not push it. You also may have another day where you may come in 
and man, the weight's flying. Everything just feels like that might be a day to kind of bump it up a little bit, right? But you have to know your body and know how your body responds to load volume and everything else, because you can't just hit the gas pedal all the time, especially on a, a quote unquote bad day or less than optimal readiness day and expect a great result. So a lot of it is based off of feel. Um, and, and if there's one sort of part of that is, uh, you have to spend a lot of time training to know how you respond to training and know how your body responds to stress. Because if you don't know how your body responds to stress and everything else, how do you know what a good day and a bad day is, right? And um, one of the simplest ways that you can sort of understand how your body's readiness is going is, uh, um, and, and I'm a big fan of get-ups, love get-ups, um, and, and obviously Brett does too. But one of the things uh, that I used to do is when I was training get-ups a lot, and I'm not right now, but I, I need to be getting back into them, is I remember doing my get-ups and my starting weight was always the 32 at that point. I always start off with get-ups to the 32. And I could tell right away by that first get up, okay, things are moving well, or you know what? They're not moving well based off of how that felt. And that was, that gave me insight on my, my current readiness. It's biofeedback, right? I mean, it's, it's how you're feeling. So that's just a big part of it. And, uh, I'm a huge fan of that, but there's kind of two things we can look into. There's PRE, which is perceived rate of exertion and RIR. And we talked about this a little bit, but they're both the same. It just depends on what you feel is going to be the best for you or your client to understand. I think certain certain scenarios are better with RIR, and then certain scenarios are uh, are better with PRE. And and I think a lot of it has to do with what you're doing. Um, RIR, I, I I found works better with lifting weights because you can't leave reps in the tank if you're doing sprint work, right? I mean, yes, you can. Like if you have a certain amount you need to deload. But if you're using PRE, you can say, hey, I want you to work an eight out of 10, or I want you to do a tempo run at 80%. That's your, that's how hard you should work. But it's, it's a perceived rate of exertion. It may not be an actual rate of exertion. And that's a big part of it. And that's why the perceived fact isn't so important because one day you may feel like you're working at hundred percent, but you're not another day you may be working at hundred percent and you are because it's all based off of your readiness and how your nervous system is functioning. Yeah, in an ideal world, over time, you develop the uh, language or data to back that up. If you're, if we're talking tempo runs and you're running a 100 meters or 400 meters, whatever, running a 400 meters, uh, and you know that your 100% there is, you know, um, for somebody like me, it's like five minutes uh, to make it around the track once. Um, but for people that actually run, maybe you're a minute 15, maybe you're a minute 20. Um, you know, elite folks are going way below that minute mark, but let's not talk about them because then I just, it makes me feel bad. Um, <laughs> so the, the, uh, um, so let's say, you know, and, and just to keep the numbers easy, let's, let's just call it a minute. So, or a hundred seconds. So we, we can very quickly say, you know, 80% of that is going to, you know, we, we take that ad. 20 seconds that run, run, uh, 120 seconds, uh, versus a hundred. And so, you know, we, you're able to back that up. Hey, coach told me to go run at 80%. Um, and looking at my times, Hey, I was, I was pretty darn close or coach told me to go run at 80% and Ooh, man, was I slow or coach told me to go run at 80% and I killed it. I was closer to the, you know, a 90% effort, but it felt like 80%. 
Yeah, these yeah. are all just really good data points and metrics to be keeping track of. Um, it's it's one of those things that like for me, like RPE is something that I'm I'm still working out <laughs> in my own head. Um, and but I can tell you now that uh, a 36 feels like a 32 used to. Um, a 40 starting to feel like 36 used to. And so my RPE at those weights has really started to drop um, due to the consistency of my training and things like that. And I, I'm very similar to Mike in that uh, I get through my body weight, uh, a little warm up. I get to my cross crawls, usually a good indicator of how I'm moving and feeling for the day. I get into my first get up and like I trained for the first time in about a week because I had that procedure on Tuesday, the 14th. And I had, I had missed a, a week or so of training. And, um, I did my roll to press with a 24 kilo to do my first get up of the day. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> this, this sucker got heavy in the last week. Uh, but today the 24 was like, it felt like a 16. Like it just, uh, I, I was able to just kind of roll through those and feel really good. I do a little 32 kilo get up where I have a press. Once I get to standing, uh, that, that really indicates to me where I'm going to be with like an iron cardio sequence for that day. And if the 32 feels weightless, uh, as I go through that press, you know, I, I know that I'm going to, I'm going to push a little, if it's moving slow, maybe I need to take a second look at what I've got, got planned for that day and, and make a little different choice or de decrease the volume. Absolutely. And, and I think too, when it comes to like performance and, and athletes that demand a lot of their body, um, you know, uh, I train a lot of jujitsu and let me tell you, uh, there are some, there are some sore days and some really sore days <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> there, there aren't too many great days where you feel it magical, but, um, but I think a big part of, of what young athletes are missing is we have this world of, you know, so much technology. We've got whoop bands, we've got, you know, aura rings, we've got all of these different things to give us readiness and there's nothing wrong with data. I'm not saying data is bad, but I truly believe that every athlete should spend a significant amount, a significant amount of time training without any technology so they can feel how they're feeling day to day and learn how to manage that stuff. Because if you only rely on technology every single time you move, there are going to be some scenarios where you don't have the option to say no. I can guarantee you that all my UFC fighters on fight day, their HRVs in the toilet. Are they going to call Dana White and go, hey, listen, I was planning on training tonight, but my heart rate variability says it's low. I'm not going to be able to make it. I got to wait till my HRV pops back up. Like yeah, that will never happen. So there's also a time where you have to, you know, say F it and throw the phone on the ground and just train. And I'm not, that's not a permission to be a moron. Don't hear what I'm not saying, but there are some scenarios where you just got to, you know, deal with the fact that you're tired and, and put the work in. You just can't do it every day. Well, on the, the other side of the coin from auto regulation is, uh, and I, I talk about this in the book, if you always give yourself an out and you're like, ah, I'm not quite ready to train today. And so I'm going to take today off. And that's like the fourth, fifth, sixth day in a row. <laughs> I'm not trying to not train this month. Trending. <laughs> exactly. You are not trending in the right direction. But if you never give yourself an out and you're like, no, I have to train today. And yeah, I don't feel good. My shoulders are a little achy and my knees grumpy, but man, I know I got to train, got to train. So if you always give yourself out and never give yourself an out, you're probably on the wrong side of those equations. 
Um, there's there are days where and I can look back through my log and find one or two where I did my movement prep. I did my first get ups of the day and then I put a big X through everything else I had planned because just wasn't the day to train. I have other days where I know I walked in to train, not feeling like training. By the time I finished my warm up and got into my, you know, got into my get ups, I was like, oh, yeah, it's actually going to be a really good day. And so, yeah. you know, the, the other, those are other aspects of intuitive training or auto regulation. And you can easily take it too easy on yourself. You can easily make it real hard uh, on yourself. Um, and uh, yeah, but in the end, like consistency. Yeah. The, one of the reasons that I think I'm uh, having the results that I'm having from uh, from iron cardio um it's uh was it blue chips uh nick nolte um he's they're getting ready to play indiana and he 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 tells the team i i'm gonna go over to bobby knight and i'm gonna give him our playbook i'm gonna i'm gonna show him everything we're gonna do because it doesn't matter if we go out and we execute nobody can stop us anyway and if we're consistent with it it'll work um, you can also go remember the Titans, Novocaine. Yeah. Why is your playbook so small? Well, it's like Novocaine. If you use it and give it time, it's going to work. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and, and, and two great movies, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, excellent. Excellent. Uh, so, yeah, um, I, I just think that, um, you know, treating treating training as an opportunity to learn, treating training as something that you enjoy uh, having fun with your training. Um, I think that just has to appear uh, in the mix uh, at, at some point. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Well, that's a wrap for today, buddy. Good hey. job. We actually, we kind of no, sounded it like, no, it, it isn't. isn't. Okay, go ahead. It is not. We're not wrapping because just rapping. a quick update. Cause I, I know we kind of put it in the show notes for uh, the, the colorectal cancer uh, awareness Um um, episode that we did, but, um, and during that episode, I was like, hey, I still don't know the results. Well, now I know the results and uh, I did get the all clear. It was a, uh, just a 25 millimeter tubular adenoma, which is, uh, kind of the lowest on the concern scale as far as polyps and precancerous stuff that they find, uh, in the, in the colon. So, um, had that removed, um, back to training, feeling good. Um, actually, it's amazing what happens after you take that first deep breath because, uh, you know, I, I found out about the, the, um, the polyp February 3rd and didn't get it out until March 14th. So I had a few weeks there where I was like, uh, I don't know what's going on. I could have yeah. cancer. I might not have cancer. And so, you know, took a deep breath, uh, once I, you know, had that on the 14th and finally got the results on the 17th and, you know, I, um, um, took a deep breath. Uh, after that. And so I just wanted to update everybody in, in case they listened to the last episode and they're like, dude, wicked cliffhanger. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Well, so. honestly, man, like, so yeah, yeah. Brett and I are actually friends besides on this podcast and we, we talk quite a bit. So I'm, I'm grateful that you got the clear man. Um, you and I have unfortunately shared too many stories about cancer together, but I'm, I'm very grateful that, that you're healthy. And, um, Listen, friends, March is colorectal cancer awareness month. 
it was also the month in which I had all my surgeries and stuff a couple of years ago and, and, and started my journey trying to, uh, to beat colon cancer, stage three colon cancer. And, uh, I am in the clear, which is fantastic. Um, but look, friends, um, you know, we share this as an educational tool, um, because if we can help one person get ahead of this and maybe save their lives, and, and it sounds dramatic, but early screening and early detection can save lives. And that's why we're talking about this all month. And we'll probably talk about it more than just this month because it's really, really important. So um, look, if you haven't gotten your colonoscopy and you're in your 40s, ask your doctor to do it. Um, get those those time or age appropriate rather um you know, medical screens, those procedures as needed, um, because it's better to catch it early than when it could be potentially too late. So, um, thank you guys for another, uh, fantastic. Yeah. Even with, even with the one I just had removed, um, you leave that go, it becomes cancer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It becomes large enough to where it really gums the works up. And then you've, you've got more problems uh, than you want to deal with. Um, Exactly. And it it was, I was talking to the doctor beforehand and, you know, I had this done as a flex SIG um, and they inject behind it and create some separation and they're able to do some really amazing things. Now go back in time, seven years ago, that is a full open abdominal surgery uh, and resection to, to go in and, and get that. Um, so they're getting better and better at this all the time and just avail yourself of these, uh, the, the progress that's being made. And again, to your point, early detection, you know, I had a little three millimeter, uh, tubular adenoma removed during my colonoscopy back on February 3rd. I, I know we probably shouldn't be mentioning dates, but whatever, uh, yeah, whatever. it's not like we're professionals. Um, so it. the, uh, <laughs> you know, that was a little <laughs> three millimeter. Uh, thing. So, you know, the, but that's now no longer a problem. And yeah. so this, yeah, do, do the things do, do not, uh, don't suffer from stubbornness. Absolutely. Um, anyways, we appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening to the minimum effective dose podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, do us a huge favor and please give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to. Share with your friends, loved ones, colleagues, etc. And we'll see you on the next episode. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.